Hey everybody, welcome to Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. I really want to thank you for listening. If you feel compelled to do so, make sure you subscribe, uh, leave a review, comment, share, whatever you feel like doing. Help me out trying to grow this podcast, trying to continuously deliver value. A couple of things before we get into the show, check out the links in the show notes to my CRA Academy my CRC Academy, both of them doing very well as far as getting people jobs in the marketplace. Check those out. Also, if you need help getting studies for your site or anything else, or even launching a site, basically any help for your site, we have a low monthly fee consulting service where we have helped many clients become and continue to be successful site owners through our background efforts of business development and support staff text me 949-415-6256 please check out the links in the show notes as well for the book the comprehensive guide to clinical research it's been selling really well getting very well received by the community thank you guys so much for that also check out the youtube member page join this channel to get perks that's my youtube uh, membership it's 10 bucks a month you get a monthly mastermind exclusively it's a zoom call every month with other youtube members uh, you also get weekly videos exclusive to the youtube members on how to use social media to improve your opportunities in life sciences so check that out really means a lot to me and thank you so much again for listening and enjoy the show Guru Nation, welcome back to another episode of Random Musings from the Clinical Trails Guru. This is also going to go on YouTube. This is going to go on the podcast. This is going to go everywhere. For this video, it's very important that you pay attention to the show notes because I have Ellen Badenko on. She's a clinical research professional, a registered nurse. She has a long career in research, in private industry research, in academic research, back and forth same time, everything. We want to talk about academia versus industry and vice versa. We will. You want to talk about career? We will. Uh, But probably most importantly, Ellen reached out to me. She didn't want to talk about her career necessarily. That's not why she reached out, but I'm glad she did because it's valuable information. Also, she reached out because she's Ukrainian and There's obviously a crisis happening right now in Ukraine. I'm sure everybody knows about it and they need donations. So maybe we can start with that. Like if you're a research clinic or a company in this space and you have supplies, Ellen, thank you so much. Why don't you take it away? Let's start with that first because it's the most important. What kind of supplies Mm -hmm. are you guys looking for? Thank you so much, Dan, for responding so quickly to my just random uh, message. Thank you. On LinkedIn. Um, so supplies, as far as uh, supplies for Ukraine, there is a list. And surprisingly, there is a lot of stuff that the sites can actually contribute from the supplies that the sponsor doesn't want to take back. <laughs> that includes Band-Aids, uh, tape, gauze, IV start kits. Yeah. It depends on what kind of site you are. For example, if you're a diabetic site, uh, site and you have um, diabetes site and you have the um, strips, you know, maybe the sponsor provided you uh, test strips for urine, you know, you can donate that. 
Um, so there is a quite a sizable list. Uh, what I would like to say is that um, expired supplies are not accepted because um, the supplies will go through a nonprofit here in the United States uh, called Razum for Ukraine. And um, I will have to triage. So um, Dan, we'll put my um, contact email for this, for the donations in the chat. It's ukrainerelief38 at gmail.com. And then I'll triage, I'll contact you, which supplies would be um, appropriate. I will then have to reach out to Razum for their approval. And after that, we'll coordinate the donations. And so that's, that's ukrainerelief38 at yahoo.com. No, at gmail.com. Oh, Gmail, Gmail. Yeah. Yeah, who, <laughs> what's Yahoo? I still have yeah. a Yahoo, but that's old. <laughs> Okay, Gmail. Ukraine relief thirty eight at gmail dot com. That's Thank right. You. Yeah. Uh, and then okay, um, obviously, you know, if um, if your office, if your site would like to just donate supplies, or donate the fund funds for the purchase of the supplies in um, in bulk, um, I will have that information. Then we'll uh, put it in the chat later. Okay. So we're gonna have that email in the chat, and we're gonna have um the linkedin profile for ellen in the chat because i know you guys also there's two there's really two audience watching its sites and it's people interested in their careers sometimes there's some overlap but it's usually two separate type of sub audience so both of you this is important for you guys so um i guess before we get into your career because you have connections in ukraine can you give us like a, an update of like what's happening and what the greatest needs really are like when it comes to, let's say, medical? I'm from Kharkiv. That's the city on the border with Russia. And um, my native city has been bombarded so hard. It's literally been raised. They're trying to raise it. And... Um, I'm in contact with people uh, all over Ukraine. Mm. Some parts, of course, you know, suffering a lot more than others. Um, the, the most acute need is, of course, for medications and supplies um, that are suitable for like what's called tactical medical. I'm not mm. quite sure, honestly, if this is the um, term that's used here in the U.S. I just haven't had a chance to look it up. But it's um, tourniquets. And um, uh, silox type um, dressings, you know, that stop the bleeding, mm -hmm. you know, anything of that nature. Uh, another need is um, to supply the hospitals, um, airways, ventilators, you know, anything that has to do with, um, you know, um, again, um, surgical supplies, you know, gauze padding, like there's a whole list. And then I was just thinking, people who are, um, leaving Ukraine, as you know, there are now millions of refugees mm -hmm. going through Poland, Romania, Hungary, um, Czech Republic, you know, uh, going to Germany. So in Poland, I actually personally know two teams of U.S. medics that went there and they help people, sick people right there, um, triage them at the train station, help them with whatever they need. So they need our support as well. And um, um, Nobody 
canceled diabetes, nobody canceled dialysis, you know, yeah. all those uh, COPD, all those things are still there and um, just run of the mill um, infections, traumas. So um, all kinds of supplies are needed. So those are like three tiers of supplies um, when we're talking about medical. Yeah, next week, I think next week I'm having somebody from Ukraine who works in clinical research in Ukraine, I think in Kiev. Uh, I'm going to have him on. So we'll get like a kind of a firsthand account of what clinical researchers are dealing with. And then after you watch that, remember Ellen's email, come back and check out the email and anything helps guys. Um, so we're definitely, I mean, this is something that's, uh, still developing and doesn't seem like it's going to end at least in the near future. So, but we can just give our best uh, support the best way we can. If you're a site, you know, you get supplies, everybody's got some kind of supplies that they don't need. So reach out to Alan. Um, thank you so much. For that, you. Thank you. And I, I also worked a little bit in home care. So I reached out to my home care office. Ah, and, yes. um, you know, anything that they don't use, you know, the patients, long-term care patients might be switching their treatments, their supplies or, um, Foley catheters, splints, you know, like anything, dressing, gauzes, tube feedings, um, supplies, uh, syringes, anything goes. By the way, Dan, I'm so glad that you mentioned that you're having um, somebody from Ukraine mm-hmm. um, on your podcast next week. I hope that I can attend. Yeah. my One of my recent um, positions was a clinical trial educator for a Parkinson's disease trial. And we had sites in Ukraine, have sites in Ukraine. So I reached out and I kind of informally talked. So some patients left, some, uh, some, you know, some patients still there. The educators are banding together, supporting each other, trying to support the patients. And my heart goes out to, of course, everybody in Ukraine, and especially the most vulnerable, the the um, disabled, the children. You know, this the the patients who finally perhaps enrolled in the clinical trial that uh, could change their life. You know, yeah. oncology going on, uh, research was going on in Ukraine. So um, that's crazy. I mean, it's um, stressful enough if you're, yeah. you know, you're considering an oncology study and then to add a war on top of that, you know, that's unfathomable for us here in the United States. Yeah. And um, from what I heard, the clinical research um, teams, they're really rising up do the challenge and support each other and the patients as much That's as they crazy, can especially for things like oncology. I mean, you know, on other indications, maybe dermatology, you can kind of understand, okay, let's put things on pause, but oncology, something like that, that's urgent. You know, it's not like you can just turn it off. Like you said, you know, <laughs> your medical conditions don't go away just because there's a war. Um, uh, you, you're still going to need the alternatives, the treatments, the different options. So uh, our thoughts and prayers over there in Ukraine and researchers, you know, we'll be having more from, from Ukraine and we'll definitely have more on this topic and maybe we'll re-explore some of it during this interview. But Ellen, so you mentioned clinical research educator. I did see that on your resume. It, well, let's go back to the beginning. Like when did you first get introduced to clinical research? I know you're an RN. So when did you, was that during RN school, nursing school, before, after, when did you 
When did you discover think, research? So thinking back, the first time I heard the word IRB was indeed during my nursing school. I was doing a poster presentation and I decided to do my own research about the patient caregiver relationship in home care. And I had a fantastic advisor who unfortunately had passed away years ago. And um, she looked at my protocol and she's like, well, okay, um, we need to get it approved. I totally didn't understand what that meant. She took care <laughs> of everything. So that was the very first time I heard about the IRB. And then um, I became a nurse, uh, worked on bedside, uh, medical, surgical, critical care, recovery room. Kind of got antsy, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, and saw that a nurse was coming in, a coordinator was coming in um, into recovery room and doing like uh, we were drawing blood for her. It was anesthesia research, and um, I get very interested. And um, I asked, "How do you get into that? What do you do?" This person was very, very nice. And uh, we had lunch in the cafeteria. And she said, okay, so you go to this website. And it was a big university. It was at Jefferson at the time. And she said, take the, um, uh, the course, you know, Protection of Human Subjects course. And, and that's what I did. And, and she told me, like, about um, she was doing rheumatology research at the time. Um, to me, at that time, pretty much... Everything was so new, I really didn't know. All I knew is what I wanted kind of to try to do what she was doing because it looked like uh, something interesting. Was she in a nurse economy. too? She was a nurse, um, but she was the coordinator of a small practice, I believe, and she was doing everything from soup to nuts. She was mm -hmm. doing the budgets, she was doing the um, ICFs, um, she was enrolling subjects, then she was there as needed to actually collect the blood, spin the blood, like she was doing everything. I didn't know it at the time, you know, like what really was going on. <laughs> but I just really thought um, I like the idea of being more autonomous hmm. and uh, perhaps better work hours as opposed to doing shift work and being on the cutting edge. So those so things really appealed to me. This nurse worked at a small site? No, she worked at Jefferson, but it was okay, a small okay. department. She was uh, supporting okay. a small department. Gotcha. Um, and, um, the way I got to interact with her, she was helping out and um, the anesthesia group with their research. And, and that's why she was uh, wandering into the PACU, you know, collecting blood work. And yeah. that's why the consent forms were in patients' charts, you know. Got so you just easy. got curious and said, hey, you know, what is all this stuff? This is different I knew than I what I do. Yeah, exactly. And, and she was nice. And then... Um, I took the course and when the position opened up at Jefferson in phase one unit, I applied. Ooh, I phase one. The, yeah. <laughs> um, and was so that healthy volunteer or phase one oncology? No, it was healthy volunteer. Wow. So you did phase yeah. one healthy volunteer. Those are yeah. tough studies. Single well, escalating, yeah. multiple ascending, all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was an interesting experience. Um, wow. Every, that, everything is the, uh, everything is an experience. Everything has nuances and, uh, um, absolutely formed, uh, you know, my further 
a career, you know, how I go about things and research. And but well, that it's was interesting. Very, very interesting. It's interesting looking at your LinkedIn. And like I said, guys, everything I'm going to put Ellen's LinkedIn profile underneath the video and in the show notes. So go connect. But if you go look, okay, it's um, it alternates between and sometimes at the same time between academia and private industry, academia, private industry. It's it's strange because you know usually people pick one path, and I get accused of being too negative uh, on people who work in academia. And I, it's not the people who work there, guys. It's the I, I don't like the bureaucracy. And I think that that can potentially hinder if you're not in the right AMC, it can hinder your career development. But, you know, I always tell everybody, Ellen, you're in the business of you, no matter who you work for, like your career is your business. That's yeah. for you. That's your responsibility, not an AMC, not a private company. It's you. So it's just really cool to see this because like I said, usually you don't see like this kind of overlap and uh, back and forth. You have Temple University, you have Acurian, you have Inventive, you have UBC, back to Temple, uh, Ikevia, different volunteer, Razom, that's the one you were mentioning, right? Um, Veter uh, Veteranius Project, Teach Basic to Advance English to Ukrainian Veterans who are taking veteranous IT courses in Ukraine, uh, volunteer at a biotech project, Westchester Biotech Project, and now UC Davis. So it's like you have a great, you're a generalist, <laughs> true generalist. And RN, what what makes you want to try so many things? You were mentioning earlier, like it's exciting. You know, you, you like this kind of change and change of pace maybe. What is it like? What do you enjoy most about this industry? Because you have a good sample size of working at various different types of organizations. I have to say, Dan, that some of those transitions were not by my personal choice as much as they were by the circumstance. Being a parent, um, a lot of times I just had to um, make the change. I, for example, um, I left UBC, I couldn't travel, there were other things. So um, mm. it wasn't because I really, really, really wanted to make those changes, but um, I, uh, I came to appreciate, I really came to appreciate what I gained. For example, I loved being a CRA. Yeah. I absolutely loved being a CRA. I would I have stayed with here. operations, you know, I would have gone all the way up, you know, like I, I would have really made a career. However, I, you know, due to family circumstances, I really couldn't travel anymore. And um, I was um, sending my CVs, you know, I was doing interviews and then Temple had a position. I had worked at Temple before and I'm like, oh, you know, I really don't want to go back to that. And then. I was like, no, I really have to. I need a job, you know, with benefits. So I went, and it was a phenomenal position. Mm -hmm. um, if you could see the um, heart failure research mm -hmm. program, mm -hmm. a PI at Temple had a grant, and she was creating a heart failure research program uh, from the ground up. And wow. it was the most exciting opportunity because literally we 
uh, we build a biorepository, which um, now I know some about the biorepository world, um, even attended the ISBER conference and uh, you know got a glimpse. There's a lot of overlap between your regular research sites and the sites that, uh, that do um, uh, registries and biorepository work. So um, we created protocols, you know, um, gave me a really wonderful insight into um, everything um, at a large academic institution, trying mm -hmm. to figure out all the workflows, um, talked to everybody there, you know, created uh, outreach materials, um, interacted with the community health workers, you know, a lot of recruitment efforts, um, created, um, like um, found a um, home care agency that we put on our protocol as um, as a standby, kind of got a master agreement. So it was really interesting. It was, um, we did um, studies that recruited inpatient. Mm -hmm. inpatient. Okay. So inpatients, outpatients, different specifics, uh, got to crawl all over Epic, you know, and, uh, and work with Epic teams, you know, um, so it, it ultimately was the most wonderful experience. When I went for the interview, I was really honestly not 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 excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Well, what were because you not excited thought, about? Um, because I thought that would be just a step back. I mm. thought uh, just because you were CRA and to go back because to the I already did other things. By that time, I had worked. Um, at Acurian, I had worked at um, as a um, global trial optimization specialist on oncology trial for a pharma company. I worked at the CRA. So um, going back, just doing um, routine um, routine coordinator work just wasn't really exciting. But you know, I, I went, and it turned out to be the most wonderful opportunity. So it turned out to be great, despite your. Um your perception that it wasn't going to be exciting. It turned, it surprised you. It did. It did. And, um, you and think I'm that has more to do with the institution. Uh, because if you could have, if maybe you would have went somewhere else, it would have been totally different experience, same position, even same studies, maybe. Yeah. Everything, everything is, I guess, to, to a degree, a lock of the draw could have been a different PI. Uh, um, everything. It's all the variables that. Have been. Yeah. yeah. You nailed it. Yeah, it's not so simple. Like, uh, you know, people try to think, okay, what's better, Dan, academia or private industry? I say whatever you feel like. I mean, it sounds like I'm not trying to answer the question, but how do I know? I wouldn't even know for myself which one I but prefer. And, you know, the more you do, the, um, the more you explore those um, different aspects of clinical research, you gain perspectives. So, yeah. for example, when you go then from um, from the academia to a CRO, like I did back from Temple to um, IQVIA. Was that easy transition? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, actually, you know what? Let me back back up. When I came back to Temple as a coordinator after working in, in, a, in a CRO and a sponsor and at Acurian, um, I realized that I had so much um, insight into the workings of um, the um, the CROs, the sponsors, you know, that ordinarily a coordinator, like when I was working a coordinator initially, I didn't have that insight. Um, I learned how to talk the talk. 
Mm. I learned how to write my emails effectively, effective communication. I knew uh, why, for example, the glitches in the EDC were there, like I could understand and I could perhaps even suggest like what, what the solution might be. And again, it can all expedited things. So um, it helps, it helps. And the same when I went from the uh, site to a CRO again, the perspectives as a coordinator perspectives uh, really informed some of our work as a, um, as a clinical nurse educator, because we work with sites a lot and um, we need to motivate the sites. We need to try to help them figure out how to expedite, let's say the startup, perhaps, you know, uh, and we had to help them um, figure out their recruitment strategies if they haven't had a dumb pad, you know, so a lot of it's very helpful. Nothing goes to waste. <laughs> no, I think you brought up a good point about perspective and I'm, I definitely want to get into your roles with um, Acurian as a feasibility specialist, Inventive, Global Trial Optimization Specialist, and IKVF Clinical Trial Educator. But from going from coordinator to CRA, before we move to those things, going from coordinator to CRA, I think is very valuable for CRAs. I, they tend to make better monitors, in my opinion. I did that before, too. So when I was a, a coordinator, and now I'm back to being a coordinator, but when I started, I was a coordinator. Then I got a contract CRA role, like within five years. So when I was a coordinator, I was terrified of my monitors. Like, I didn't exactly. want to talk to them. <laughs> no more than what's necessary. And I like to talk, but I was like, no more than what's necessary. I was afraid that they're just looking to find stuff. and. When I became a CRA, I realized that's not the case. But then I noticed that the sites I would interact with thought that way of me. So then I was like, look, I was just like you. Like, I was afraid. You get nothing, you'd be afraid. Then it worked out. You know, we were able to, to work more effectively because I had this communication. And I had this, this perspective, like you said. So you, you had similar experience of going from CRC exactly. to CRA? Exact same experience then. Exact like at my first job, uh, I was um, I was l the lowest, like the the the, the newbie C CRC. <laughs> I, I wasn't even in CRC. I think I was called a research nurse. They explicitly told me, "Do not talk to the monitor." They, it was like the monitor. Oh my god, everyone was <laughs> trembling. And, uh, yeah, exact same thing. It, I was fortunate that my CRA CRAs were really wonderful series <laughs> and people. Um, so I've kept in touch with them later. I've kept in touch with uh, a clinical trial educator that came to my site, like we're still friends. So it all depends, but ex like I, I second everything you say. I, my first day, I never told anyone this, I don't think, but the first day I got my job as a research assistant, I was like, you fresh out of college, I just picked it because uh, there was nothing else to do. So first day, they had a site selection visit. This is my first day. I'm like five minutes, five minutes into the office. The monitor's coming in 20 minutes later. I had no idea what this even is. The lady who was responsible for training me said, you're going to go sit in this room. You're going to say yes to everything they ask you. 
And then you're going to say that you have experience with this, 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 and this, all these assessments. <laughs> I was like, okay. So monitor came. I just said, yes, the whole time. I didn't say another word, just yes. <laughs> I had no clue what this stuff was. And then I carried that with me in my career. Just, I was terrified the first couple of years, but once you gain perspective, like you said, and you Ellen gain so much perspective with your various roles. So <laughs> what, I'm interested in, in this feasibility specialist with a Curian because that's, they're a patient recruitment company, more or less, right? I mean, that's their main, their main job is to recruit patients. So what was that like? Because here's my problem with these vendors, right? And this is why they need more people like you. They, they're so out of touch with what sites have to deal with. Uh, They have no clue how to present even if you have a patient referral they have no way to make that necessarily easy it's just it's this crazy process by the time you can actually get the lead the patient doesn't even remember they signed up um, for a study because there's so much red tape and they don't the vendors don't necessarily realize they don't have that perspective of what the coordinator have to deal with on a daily basis so what was your experiences like at a vendor like this? So I must say that my experience with Acurian was um, several years ago. I left Acurian in 2015. So that company, I don't believe in exists as it is. It's called Accelerated Enrollment Solutions. And mm-hmm. uh, they changed um, their name? From what I understand, when people okay, acquired okay. them, perhaps like I haven't been really following okay. very closely. Um, there's there are quite a few companies that uh, specialize in add-on enroll um, uh, enrollment, like add-on recruitment. Mm-hmm. At Acurian at the time, it was a small company, but every feasibility specialist did have an experience as a coordinator. It was a growing field. Okay. A lot of things were perhaps trial and error. However, um, it, it's not easy. I have to say it is not easy to um, to get the patients who are not currently the site's patients to um, to come to the site to enroll in the trial. So our our role as a as feasibility specialist, there were several of us ultimately, uh, was to start with the protocol because not every protocol is suitable for uh, for um, advertisement or that kind of enrollment. Right. So we have to um, start from there and then uh, read the protocol, you know, assess the protocol. Is it possible? Is it not possible? We supported business development. So I forgot to say that was a lot of that. Um, we had to support business development, which is fun. To get <laughs> more sponsors and CROs interested, right? Well, you know, they, um, they count um executives you know they had to um present uh, they had to respond to the request for proposals you know they had to know what what we can do as a company and we as feasibility specialists were basically informing uh, them what solutions might be what could be presented i got you, you know, um was a lot of back and forth the the pace was very fast <laughs> um fast. lots of protocols all kinds of um therapeutic areas, indications, because not only we um, did the recruitment, 
but we also did the retention. Don't forget about retention. It's a huge piece. Everybody forgets about retention. We should never forget. <laughs> nope. I think we should start saying retention and recruitment, right? <laughs> and that would make more sense. You know what? That makes more sense. I know it's a segue, but I found it much more efficient. Once we exhausted my PI's database, like his or her own patients, you exhaust that very quickly with some of these protocols too. The next best thing is to retain your patients that you already have long enough to where they're comfortable referring others. Yep. So I think you're absolutely right when you say it should be retention and then recruitment. So, um, and then it would be um, the work of technically trying to figure out um, to do the, the, the number crunching sort of like you make the assumptions, you figure out uh, what the population is, what the geographic areas, does it overlap with sites or can we suggest the sites in certain areas? Um, uh, what percentage of, um, do we have data on what percentage of patients, for example, are on um, metformin? But wow, so we, you guys got very granular. It was, um, so there was um, internal data that we worked with based yeah. on the previous um, recruitment efforts. And there was data from the outside. Um, when I worked at uh, as a clinic global trial optimization specialist, um, we used um, trial, um, I think it's called Sightline, I forgot. Um, the databases, the commercial databases that provide the data. Honestly, you can even go to uh, clinicaltrials.gov. And if you know what you're looking for, you can, you can get valuable insights from there, valuable data from there. Um, so um what data did you get from there like for, so in your role here at Acurian you were sponsor and CRO facing so you were on the feasibility side what does that mean that means you're helping them look, so because i understand gonna, that they already have their sites no the sponsor and CRO yes so um we were providing support to the project management the business development project management um so we would develop um, the strategy. Like, first of all, again, we'd say, is it feasible? Is it not feasible? Is it worth it? Or will it be too expensive, you know, for your efforts? Okay. And you probably won't net enough patients. Um, and then we would develop the what's called screeners, pre-screeners, questionnaires. And you will be um, wrecking your brain. How do I ask the questions? And the patient who is absolutely clueless <laughs> provide some sort of like reliable information or she would just forget about it and just send this patient to site. There was a very delicate balancing act between um, sending the patients to the sites that were very likely potential candidates because yeah. we don't want to send everybody to the site. So right now, for example, one of the uh, people I worked with at Acurian, he's now Trial B and uh, Trial B is another a great, um, you know, a great um, company and um, they see all kinds of support. They're like um, nurses triaging patients, you know, uh, even before those patients get to the site. So like the, the trial B nurses, um, it all depends on the project and complexity of the project. Um, wow. There are many variables, but, um, and then, you know, um, you support the sites. You had to train the sites. How do we use, um, how do we work as a site? How do you work with, uh, <laughs> with the recruitment service? Like, well, because there is another portal, like what do you do? What's the follow-up? Yeah. What do you expect? 
And then um, don't forget about the re re recruitment and retention materials. There were some projects that only included, uh, let's say, brochures or websites or something like that for this site. My experience, my first experience with Icurian, I worked with them a lot more um, seven years ago when I started my CRO. But my first experience with them was as a coordinator when I, I actually became the site owner uh, through some crazy circumstances. And I remember doing the study and the, you know, we, we were kind of, we were okay in roller actually. We were like towards the high end, not the top end roller, but like it within the top, probably 20%. And very respectable. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember uh, my monitor telling me, Hey, there's this company we're working with that's going to send you patients. And I was like, as a new business owner, I'm like, uh, I'm not interested. You know, I told them that, like, I don't want to pay for anything like this. And they're, and they're like, no, they're, the sponsor is paying for it. All you have to do is call these people. So I would get a fax. This was like before email. They would fax me every week a list of patients. And then I would call them. And initially, I was so excited. I was like, okay, this is awesome. But none of them, I either got hung up on, cursed out. Um, it was a psychiatry study, so it was difficult. Um, or I don't know why you're calling me. So by the time you go through like 20 of those, you're like, why am I wasting my time with this, you know, every week? And I had to send a log back to Akirian every week. Patient by patient, what happened? And I got sick of doing that. But so I could feel the pain. But you're you worked at this company, not not during yeah. that time, but you worked for the same company. Probably, That's yeah. I think I already left. Um, but you know what? It's very important to get sites feedback, and uh, it's an ongoing process. So my advice to the sites is: don't be afraid of those services. And this is what I, you know, was. Uh, actually saying to, uh, at my recent job, you know, um, as a clinical nurse educator to the science, don't be, don't be scared. Don't be afraid. This is great. This is your support. It all depends on how you approach it and um, give feedback. If you think that the patients are not qualified because of X, Y, Z, don't sit on this and just be like, you know, salt, salt, just Salty. make sure you, <laughs> salt. no, I mean like, um, don't, don't, um, you know, don't just, you know, salt. Don't get down in the dumps. Don't get down in the dumps and not that was me. And complain. <laughs> make sure you tell your CRA. That's your first. Oh, I didn't want to tell my CRA. So you guys do well and saying, okay, do <laughs> well. well just some, some feedback. Don't, don't be afraid because everybody's interested in sites enrolling patients. Yeah, it's you know everybody's in it together. So um, sometimes the sites just don't have the time to do the ultimate like scheduling and everything. It is hard, right? It is hard. That um, no, nobody thinks that it's easy, but hopefully there are ways to um, to improve that. Before we get to uh, clinical trial educator and global trial optimization specialist. Uh, from all the jobs you had, which one was your favorite and which one was the most challenging? Your current Personally, one, you can say your current one is your most favorite. Keep them happy right now. <laughs> I, I'm very happy where I am right now, which is uh, a, a 
not really in, in research. I'm currently in IT. But okay. again, everything I learned in research, I'm using right now. And I'm gaining a lot of insight into the workings of the academic site that I haven't had um, a chance to be exposed before. For example, coverage analysis, you know, the, the financials, the web. So, and um, and uh, again, a, a very healthy appreciation for technology. And uh, so everything, nothing, uh, I'm using everything. So, um, but personally, I really like being a CRA. Oh, you did, because okay. As a, as a CRA, I, um, I had a chance to support my sites to make the, uh, and um, I could troubleshoot and I had to deal with uh, all the aspects of whatever sites we're dealing with, be it um, PRO, uh, PROs, um, EDC, you know, um, drug accountability, you know, like everything in it, supplies, you know, enrollment, recruitment, uh, just listening to, letting the coordinators vent and trying to help them out and, and uh, Sometimes uh, this site, like one site, they had a hard time getting through to um, to a um, investigator. Not getting through, but um, the investigator wanted to enroll patients, and sometimes the coordinators didn't think the patients were quite reliable for you know various reasons. So I just kind of had to say, you know, yeah, you can enroll, but you know, we really need patients who will stick with the study, and and. When I kind of said that as a CRA, it, it did make an impression. <laughs> hmm. And and the coordinators uh, appreciated that, and I spoke up for them, you know. Uh, so um, it's... That's, uh, that's <laughs> awesome, actually. You're an ally. I think, yeah, I, I think a lot of coordinators, and I think it would make a easier and, and more efficient working environment. And guess which CRA that coordinator is going to respond to Chris always tells this story, okay? I think this is a good one. And then we'll get to your other two roles that I want to discuss. He was a court, when he was a coordinator, he was at Disneyland. And he took Friday, every Friday's that site was closed, okay? So it was Friday, he was at Disneyland. Well, one of his studies had a database lock, okay? Oh, God. And the CRA was so anxious to get this done that day but he was at disneyland so but he said he left disneyland early to take care of the it for this cra only because she was nice to him during their working relationship it was like a year or so like she usually went out of her way to help them out just like you said with what you did so then the court, you know what? If it would have been a nasty monitor asking for that, guess what would happen? You've been on Splash Mountain and you're going to worry about your database lock another time. So that's a really good, really good point that you brought up, Ellen, with CRA, CRC relationship. I think it all starts there. Everybody knows it. And uh, I think fear is the, the biggest obstacle. The fear that in misperception, like you said, that the CRAs are there to find faults, you know, to find um, errors, you know. Um, yes, They're police. Course. I used everybody's to think they were like police. Exactly. Like everybody's human. You know, we, we, we tell, uh, we used to tell the sites like, yes, even if you make an error, like it just, just, just let us know right away. You know, things, 
nobody is perfect, you know, but we have to find ways to minimize those errors. You know, let, let's keep the dialogue going. And uh, that's, I think that's the most important. So yeah, personally, I like this DRA position the most. And, uh, and of that's course awesome. I like to travel because I got to visit Louisiana and Wisconsin and other places. I <laughs> love I New Orleans. Wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't that's have awesome. That's something um, that's underrated about CRA too, is all the travel you do. Yeah, got, got to uh, meet a lot of people and uh, different sites. Yeah, that's that's My really most cool. challenging. Yeah, most challenging from all your roles. I, I think a, being a coordinator at a large academic site, um, managing outpatient and inpatient trials was the most challenging. There was an but inpatient why? Because at the, I only monitor two AMCs uh, as a CRA and it seemed like, you know, everything was so streamlined. The coordinators just kind of, nothing was anyone's responsibility. That was what I noticed as a CRA. Well, when I needed something, coordinator said, oh, I don't do that. I only do this. Then I asked that person. They're like, no, no, I don't do that. <laughs> I only do, every, they um, had like 20 people. Nobody can do it. Perhaps, you know, that was your experience. Yeah. Um, I'd say it probably was the most physically and mentally exhausting. Ah, really? Because of the um, because of the number of trials, um, because especially because I was in the inpatient trials that you couldn't predict when the patient would develop septic shock. Wow! <laughs> and then do certain procedures, so you had to be on your toes, and and um, of course, you know, it's not for everybody. It was very hard to manage, along with raising children, and and you know. Wow. <laughs> And I think that I think honestly, this position as a coordinator wouldn't have been so hard for me personally, um, so um, challenging. If um, I think it was just physically, I think it was just um, the sheer volume. Like there was nothing super complicated about this, and everything. It was rewarding to work with the patients and with the doctors and 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 with sponsors with different trials. So it was a really interesting. It was a great job, but for me, I think it was the most challenging because you just had to um, keep it all together. There are a couple of um, cartoons, you know, like uh, CRC cartoons. I'll find them. I think I think you probably saw them, like uh, like the <laughs> cordon. Yeah, um, totally. Um, and I feel the site's pain and um, everywhere. Wow. I, I doubt that there is a site. Um, that's completely fully staffed and, and, you know, doesn't need any help. Oh, um, I think oh. overwhelmingly it's, it's a big issue. So um, I think that's why, because it was just so challenging. And again, sometimes, you know, um, you had to reach out and depend on um, different departments that would take forever um, to turn things around. And the sponsor were asking you, the monitor was asking you what's going on. And you had to ask them what's going on and, and so <laughs> forth. But um, yeah, the, the job itself, like some people really love it. And I think it could be a fantastic um, opportunity, yeah. especially in a, in a place with good benefits and um, not much career growth, though, I have to say. It, I don't think it's for people who like to um, like um, to grow their career. Um, yeah, you can become a manager or like a senior CRC, but um, I think really to expand your horizons. I don't think there's enough room um, 
there to to grow for, for many people. It's too much. Um, too many people at the top <laughs> that are comfortable. It's like there's just not many opportunities for that. But yeah. um, but everybody needs CRCs. So, everybody, especially yeah, labor now. shortage. Well, why don't they? I mean, I you know, at some of these small sites, I kind of understand why owning one now again. You know, I understand. I'm not going to hire someone until we randomize a certain number of patients. Then I'm I feel comfortable to hire a patient or a study coordinator. But uh, like at an AMC, maybe it's the same, but they have certain budgets, right? And I know every AMC is different, but why don't they? If they need more staff, why don't they just hire another RN like you? You know, when you were research naive. And bring you on, <laughs> bring that person on. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, and maybe you have a, a phenomenally staffed site, you know, and all the time in the world to actually mentor a mm. new brand new coordinator. Do sites really have that um, bandwidth? Yeah. So, it's so more... that's where you come in. Yeah. yeah that's I where see. the CRSD Academy comes in. But you know, just want it because I have only um, for a couple of minutes left. I have to go back to work. I okay. work in California time. I took a I lunch. I totally room. forgot. Yeah, you see Davis. You see Davis. So what else do you want to say that we haven't said uh, so far? You want to bring it back to Ukraine? I, I want to mention a couple of things. Uh, again, just wanted to mention about CRA. You know, your CRA Academy and CRC Academy. Thank um, you. Thank you. Wonderful. Um, if I had that available to me when I was transitioning, perhaps the transition would have been even much easier. But I was lucky. UBC at the time opened up a CRA class. So that's how I made a transition. I wanted to mention that I only have an associate's degree. My life just kind of like happened that way. Wow. And um, in spite of that, um, I mean, I lost many opportunities. I wasn't even considered. However, uh, for uh, look where I am right now and what I've done. And I'm grateful for people who could see beyond um, my um, credentials. Um, at the time I did my RN um, bachelor's was not required. There were still nursing schools around. Right, right, right. And right. I was fresh off the boat immigrant. So like, I didn't know any better. Eastern and then Europe. Like, uh, yeah. So, and um, I, I'm going to say to your audience, uh, don't be scared explore, start from somewhere, reach out to people in the industry. Um, a lot of people are just really very happy to share their experiences. So um, there is room for everybody. Man, Ellen, thank you so much. Again, if you're a site, you want to donate supplies, mm -hmm. anything to the Ukraine cause, supplies, money, anything, check out the email underneath. Okay, that's the email for Ellen. And if you're somebody just wanting to network with Ellen, LinkedIn, She's on LinkedIn, so go check it out. Go connect. Then, we could have um, done another hour. This is e too easy of an well, interview. You can, uh, <laughs> I can come back. We'll come back. But, we uh, have to come back. Um, so I, if it's okay, I'll send you a link to organizations um, that accept donations and other ways to help Ukraine. Yeah. And um, we hope that there's going to be peace soon. We can only hope and pray. The whole world is honestly praying for that. So Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Ellen. I appreciate it. Go back to work. Thank you for spending your lunchtime with Guru Nation. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everybody.